0: I want to talk to you about family today. Um, I'm heading back to Chicago in a few weeks to my parents' 60th wedding anniversary. Yeah? Yeah. I'll tell them you clap for them. Um, And uh, I was asking the elders on Tuesday if it'd be cool if I went back and took a Sunday off to be at that thing and they were gracious and said yes. And then they started asking me questions about my family. And I have... uh, you know, six brothers and sisters, and, uh, and they asked about my relationship with them, and I was never really close. Our, our family's not really, like, super-duper tight, you know? No animosity, no tension, just never any dialogue. I don't know if it was a cultural thing, um, didn't know my brothers very well, and, and so I, I, when I was telling them how kind of um, distant it is, I could tell they were feeling weird for me, and I kind of started to feel weird, too, but... Um, <laughs> But to, to be honest, there's no problems. It just never was anything different. And, and then I started to think through this week about family, my family, and, and thought about uh, my immediate family, my wife and my kids, and thought, man, it's awesome. You know, I, I've told you before, I've ne- I never planned out being a parent. I never even really thought about what it was to be married. I didn't give it much thought. I was fairly superficial, and I lived hour by hour. And... Uh, And then I had kids, and family thing happened, and everything starts to rearrange, you know? And and, uh, you start to take stock of your life and and those particular situations. And gosh, it's other than Jesus in my life, it's probably the greatest joy of my life. It's just so easy. And I hear people lament about different seasons of their kid's life. I never went through any of those. Um, my wife might disagree, but I never had any problem. There wasn't anything like terrible twos. There was never any issues as baby. There was never any issues. I loved that stage. I loved them becoming men. I love the tension of men becoming men in the same kind of space, you know, where you fight for what you think is true and right for you. And I, I love the fact that we are friends now. I love that. It's all changed. And and uh, And I would say probably uh, again, apart from maybe Christ and the church, and we'll talk about that a little bit today, that it's, it's such a great joy for me, you know, and, and, uh, and it's really good for my health. To be fair, I couldn't imagine what it would be like if I lived in the environment that I grew up in, like if I didn't know my children, or they didn't know me, and we didn't have things in common, I, I, that would be weird, and, and I probably wouldn't be, uh, um, as, as, uh, normal, (laughs) maybe some of you disagree with that, anyway, um. But it made me think about uh, us, and specifically how the Bible terms us as a people. It uses terminology like body, family, church, the bride. And I want to draw a connection between what it's like for us to experience this real family, husband, wife, children, and the joy and the health of that, and then how we experience the one another's in a context like this called the church. And then I would say to you, and I think we're going to prove today, that it's equally as healthy and as strong. We are calling this the Redemption Sunday Picnic. Picnics are for families. Uh, we're going to hang out together. Hopefully, you've planned to stay and, and eat some hot dogs and meet some people, and it's going to feel really good, I think. Uh, fundamentally, we're just going to enjoy each other's company, and people are going to say things like, oh, it's so good to hang out and just talk to people, and it's going to feel like a family moment, and that and that is true, but there's some depths to this discussion and to this definition of family that we want to spend some time with. Um, and by the way, I think the Bible teaches uh, the the absolute certainty that This thing that we call the church is critical to our joy and critical to our health, spiritually speaking, right? Most people um, have no idea and don't spend hardly any time at all considering what God has provided through the people of God for us. Like, we just don't think about it. Like, I don't think about the dysfunction of my growing up years, maybe, at all. I don't even consider it... um, and most people treat the church like just, just assumptions. That's the way it is, and, and that's a good thing, and it's right where I need it to be. And, and, uh, and they don't consider what God has given us by giving us each other. And it's absolutely essential that we get our head around that. There are people, Now, when I use the church now, trust me, I'm talking about big C. As, as the world sees the church, maybe the more, more um, perfect description is the American church. This is how we kind of respond to it. We see the church more as a place. Like the church is over there at Elliott McQueen. That's the church, right? And we go to the church. When do you go to the church? When I want to. And, and that's kind of how it works out. And so we go to the place and we experience what it offers and we say good or bad things based on our experience of that. And it's totally comforting to know that it's there when we need it, right? Yeah, in fact, I, I'll use this illustration. Most people treat the church like I treat a doctor. I go to the doctor when I'm sick, and only when I'm sick, and only sick enough, right? Not when, I'm, when I, not when I want to manage health. You know, my wife tells me this all the time. I've had a few nurses around here who care about me who said, listen, you need to check this out and check that out. No problems, but if you don't check those out, we might have a problem. And so I don't ever think about going to a doctor for my health, ever, do you? I never consider I should probably go through that process. I only wait until I'm sick. And some people treat the church like, well, that's what it's for. It stays there, safely there, always there, faithfully there until I have a crisis or I have a need, and then, then I'm I'm going. So, a lot of us have been living out of God's design, out totally departed from what God has designed the church to do, and we're we'll living a different way. I, I talked to our redemption community guys, Brian Berger and, and Jeremy quite a bit about groups and about how we gather together. And Brian used this il- illustration a long time ago, and it's nothing new to us, but that fish out of water picture is perfect for Christians who have a tendency to see church as something that I go to when I need to go to it or in a crisis situation. And so whether it's that, that fight at that moment, you know, uh, t- to get b- back right, to get focused, to get things sorted out only to not get what we need and we're flopping around and fatigue and finally we tap out and we just sit there breathing. I'm surviving. And then you're dead, you know? You got that picture of the fish in your head? That's how some people process their Christian life, completely alone. And so we're living not where God designed us to live. The scriptures make it abundantly clear and that's why that passage in Romans 12 is important in verse, starting in verse 3 to verse 8 where the, where the writer, Paul, starts talking about the the way in which we respond to each other as, as Christians, the context of the one another's, And so I'm going to read two particular passages, sort of long, but only to, to make the point that I think the apostle is making. The first one will be this uh, uh, Romans 12 passage. And if you want to look at 1 Corinthians 12 and kind of hold your finger there, we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, in just a second. But let's pick it up in Romans, uh, and this should be familiar because we have already studied this passage, but I want you to get the terminology that Paul uses here. us, use them. If prophecy is in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Again, Paul says, for just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with the church. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, and free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Get the point? He's talking about unity, what we share together. And then he goes on to describe it. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If the church understood what Paul just said, this would be a different place. Let me give you the essence of it. We're one, we belong together, and we need each other. That's what Paul just said in these particular passages, only two of which I picked, right? And that's the point. God designed the body, many parts, one body, and that we need each other. And uh, I I think um, that goes against kind of the American culture thing. In the 60 past years of American evangelicalism, there is a kind of terminology that I think has been exaggerated to a point of, like, um, mistake, and I'll try to explain it, so please don't crucify me until I'm all done explaining this, okay? But it, terms like this. When we talk about relationship and Christianity, we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. We, we talk about it being um, a relationship and not religion. So let me tell you what I, what I believe and what I think the scriptures teach and then talk about maybe the ways in which we've exaggerated or mistaken this a little bit. It is absolutely true um, that what we have isn't religion correct this is not work and this is not performance this is not trying to merit god's attention by being good enough and showing up at the right places and confessing the right things this is about a sinful group of people who recognize their need who receive freely god's grace and righteousness through christ who live forever because of what god's done alone it's not religion apart from every other religious system in the world christianity orthodox christianity says i can't i need a savior Okay? that's true. And it's absolutely true that it is a relationship with God. The scriptures talk about Jesus and re- describing you are my friends. That's how Jesus terms those followers, disciples of him. And it's also true that as Christians, we are fully known and we get to know the God of the Bible. That's so unbelievably mysterious. The God who always was reveals himself and opens himself up to us. And that is true. But the part that I wanted to kind of kind of fix a little bit is that american john wayne individualism this is all private it's all my business everybody stay out of it kind of religion that isn't biblical it isn't just yours everywhere the bible describes salvation it talks about god saving a people now are you saved yes is it your relationship with jesus yes absolutely but over and over and over again, the writers of Scripture tell us that we were never saved to be alone. We were saved into the context of a family called the church. That's why this theme of family today is, is what we're talking about. I've already read one of the passages in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul describes this as a body. We're needing each other. The foot can't say to the hand. The eye can't say to the head. We're all in this together. He also uses the term the church or the bride in Ephesians 5. He talk, or Peter says in uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, that we're a a people, a royal priesthood. We belong. This people, we belong, plurally, to God. Let me read to you a passage um, from Ephesians 4. In fact, you can turn to Ephesians 4, but I'm not going to read it out of your version. I'm going to read a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, at least the beginning section, to emphasize more this idea of what it is to mature. And when we mature, we understand this belonging, okay? So this is Eugene Peterson, Ephesians 4, first six verses talking about this idea of growing up. He says, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do while I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, I want you to run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around in your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourself out for, listen, each other in acts of love, alert and noticing differences, and quick to mend fences. You were all called to travel on the same road, in the same direction, to stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, is present in all. Everything you are and think you do so permeated in oneness. Apostle, again, trying to emphasize the the reality of us, how we're linked together spiritually as brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't do this alone at all. We're not designed to live it out on our own. And here's why. This last half of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, you've turned to Ephesians 4, right? So we're going to read verse 11 through verse 16. Paul talks about this reality that the whole body is responsible for the growth of the whole body. Okay? That's how it's designed to work. This is what he says, starting in verse 11. And he, and he's talking about Christ here, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Now, right there, I just, I just gave you the, the uh, end-all, be-all truth on the subject of us belonging together and the reasons why, okay? Paul is telling us here that God's designed for our growth and for our well-being, spiritually speaking, and our faith, that it's way more biblical, it's more healthy, it's more healing, it's more maturing if we do it in the context of community with other believers using their gifts, everyone using the gifts that God has provided, Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples in John chapter 16, warned them about the future when he's not there. You remember that? He's telling them something I don't think they really got their head around, that I'm not going to be here. And for a disciple who would walk with Jesus those few years, who saw his miracles and his power and his words and the response of the people, having Jesus not be there would be a serious problem, right? And he warned them that that would be true. He told them that. I've told you these things, he said in John 16 so that you'll have peace in me because you're gonna have tribulation, it's coming. And the context to manage and navigate the tribulation as Christians is the body. That's the mechanism that God has, has given, not only to survive the trouble while we wait for Jesus to come again, but to thrive in the trouble, to grow and get stronger and love deeper and sacrifice more and, and confess sin more and love, right? That's the, that's the essence of what the gospel is supposed to do in a, in a tribe, in a, in a group of people. Um, I was reading John Piper a couple years ago, and he uh, was trying to make a connection between how we operate as a church and how we experience sin and problems in our, um, in our environments. He wondered out loud if the frequency of all the problems and the seriousness of all the issues that we have to deal with as a church and as a people is because we don't experience what Paul has told us to experience here. That we're totally individuals and we're lone rangers when it comes to this Jesus faith thing in us. We don't experience relational things at all. We're not experiencing interpersonal, supernatural gift sharing. Nobody's looking at us saying, brother, I see this. Can I help you? And nobody's saying, I see this problem. You got this blind spot. Let me help you. We don't do that with each other, so we see the problems come. We see broken homes and broken marriages. We see addictions and and sin going kind of crazy. Fears and loneliness and and issues. So Piper wondered out loud, and I think it's a true thought. That it's that it's a problem with how we're experiencing church. Maybe the, the quantity and quality of all the junk is directly connected to how we actually think of ourselves as a church. At least it's worth asking. May, maybe I'm contributing to my own trouble and tribulation. Maybe the way I'm experiencing my life or the weight of my life is because I'm not obeying how the Bible describes us to obey with each other. There's a potential that that's there. See, I think, and I, again, I'll, I'll use this term loosely. When I talk about the church, I'm not talking about you guys necessarily, but it, the church, Christian evangelicalism, most people, when they think about church, apart from it just being a place somewhere, they think of it as much as this. I go there. I go there on, on Sundays when I have time to go, and I go for this hour and 15. That's my commitment. That's church for me. That, that's what I do. And so I don't want to have you misunderstand me there either. That's absolutely an important part of this. Part of our discipleship is that you hear and you sit under the word of God. And that's, that's a good thing. But it's not the only thing. There's more to our faith than just going to church, right? There's more to it than just sitting under some, some teaching, although it's very important. Normal New Testament life, as the Bible describes it, has way more involved with it. And if you are one of who if you assess your life and say, you know what I do? I, I go when it's convenient and, uh, and I'm fairly a- a- autonomous. I just kind of sneak in, sneak out. I really don't know anybody. Then I'll tell you how it shows up in the church. The church ends up being made up of consumers who measure goods and services based on what it does to them or for them in that small little window of time, right? We become relationally passive. We don't seek others out. We don't look to use our gifts. We're sitting it out. Other people do that. And we think of the church as a professional organization that fills in all the gaps where I have wandered off. That's what they do. That's how that works. So if we've read this passage correctly, and I think we have, according to Paul, if God designed the church to minister according to the gifts that it's given, okay, and we're to minister to each other towards everyone's growth and maturity, then it seems to make sense then that there'd be unbelievable dysfunction if we weren't obeying this, right? So if we just said, hey, we're fundamentally just attenders, and, and even by that, we're not very consistent in our attendance, we don't have deep relationships, and we don't use our gifts. I don't even know what a gift is. I don't have any idea what mine is, and I'm not doing any of those things. Then it stands to reason that what God designed for our health, maturity, and growth wouldn't be happening, right? Something's missing, and that's the point that I, I'm trying to make here. We have, a, we have a counseling department. Now, I'm confessing something of my experience. I grew up in a pastor's home, and in my 53 years, if I go way, way back, I never heard of a Christian counselor 35 years ago. I never heard my dad talk about a Christian counselor. When they went to pastor's conferences, they didn't talk about counseling. Now, I'm not bagging on counseling. I'm just saying maybe, maybe, maybe we've replaced... The normal comings and goings of relationship in the body, with professional help to deal with crisis that we've created because we're not involved in the church. God bless you, people who counsel. We need it. But maybe there's something else missing. Maybe we need something more. I know I meet with the pastors on a regular basis, and they're busy too, and they're meeting with people, and every time they meet with people, I hear these wonderful stories of growth and, and people understanding and seeing the gospel. I love all that, and then you just have to ask yourself the question, why does that work? Why do people who sit under like counseling, why does that work? Here's why. Because it's the exact thing that Paul says here that we're to do to each other. Of course it works. It's person-on-person care. It's it's. It's calling out sin and praying for another brother. It's bearing up another's burdens. It's consistent. It's biblical. It's caring, right? Of course it works. That's why God invented it for us. So if we choose to see this passage and say, okay, wait a minute, there's got to be a department for this, right? (laughs) Then the church has to do a lot better job of putting together programs to meet the people's needs. Because all we should do, if this is somebody else's job, all we should do is put together platforms and programs and people who will be professional carers for you. But that isn't what God designed. That's not what Christ gave the church. He said you, if you're Christian, everyone in here, every single person in here was given by the Holy Spirit a gift to fit perfectly in this place at this time. That if you express that gift, the needs of the body are met. Encouragement is met. Counsel happens. So... I think uh, it's, it's reasonable to stand, at the, or at least to, to explain this, that why do we get involved in such kind of professional responses to sin? Maybe it's more than just the need, and I know there's a need. Maybe there's a deficiency. And let me use this illustration to make my point. Um, my wife, I love her. She's probably here. So if I say it wrong, honey, forgive me. But um, my wife is kind of a, sorry, um, a naturopathic, self-trained witch doctor, okay? <laughs> Is that right? I want to make sure I'm using in the right terms. I call her that because we couldn't be more different, you know? I eat out of the garbage bucket, and she only eats certain things, and we're so different how we see things. Well, I came back from summer vacation with the unscratchable itch, okay? It wasn't a rash, and it wasn't dry skin. It was in my bones, and I would scratch. I'd take out, I would just scratch all the time. I said, honey, you got you to help me. I'm going crazy. I can't lay down. It's just everywhere. And she says, it's probably your thyroid. I go, yeah, how would you know? I just, that's a classic symptom. Of, and she reads everything. She researches everything. So, well, what do I do? She goes, you need iodine. And she goes on to tell me the history of how the government re- removed iodine from our diet and our beds. And so I just believe her. Um, <laughs> so I have this iodine uh, bottle and I drop you know, little droplets of, of iodine in water, and I drink this stuff. Well, guess what happened? It went away. Now, I'm not certain I'm going to give her the credit for that yet because it could be just coincidence. Timing was perfect. But what if, okay, this is the illustration, what if I had a deficiency of iodine? What if? What if my problems weren't solved by a sharper object? What if what I needed was iodine to supplement my thyroid, that whatever, whatever, you know. You get the point I'm trying to make? What if your need for someone to come and please help you because you've made a train wreck of your life wasn't, hey, will someone who really works in that department give me a couple of tips and some helpful connections, give me a Bible verse so I can go right back into the same world I came from and feel better? What if, what if? That isn't God's solution to us as a church. What if God said, no, 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 here's how you grow, and here's how you mature, and here's how you see sin, and here's how you see restoration, and here's how you go free. When you live in the context of the one another's, carefully and skillfully giving truth and love to one another consistently over a period of time, guess what happens to you? You grow up into Christ. I've said this so many times it makes it makes my head spin. But when I get a chance, and I don't take very many of these, when I get a chance to sit down with people and and counsel, that's what they think. First thing, almost the first thing I say to them is, I'm not a professional. You know that, right? I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. My name's Tim, and, and maybe because I'm not going through your situation right now, maybe I can clearly see my way through it more than you can because you're in it, and maybe my this moment for me is just really helpful to you because I'm just a brother who could go off the rails in a second just like you could. There's nothing professional about this, and maybe every one of us, every one of us in this place, if we got busy just giving the gifts away and giving the heart away and loving people and using truth, maybe maybe suddenly all the cataclysmic problems of our church kind of shrink down to proportional size, right? And we start to grow up into Christ. I, I want you to see verse uh, verse 16, because the power is in this one verse of what Paul has been saying. First of all, I want you to see the first kind of thought, as he says, from Christ. He's referring back to the subject of verse 15. When he leaves us with the thought of what Christ is doing, he is the head of all things. He says, "From Christ." Now get this point. Get this: Jesus' invention is the body. So if you're sitting here going, "I've got some problems. I've run in some knuckleheads in the body, and I'm not certain I want to put myself in arms away again. I got it. Got it? We're all sinners. But but this invention of the one another's, the body, is Christ's invention. He's building his church, and he's using his church to bring kind of those ministries into it. It's his power, right? It's Christ who invades it with preaching and teaching and care and relationships and gifts. Amen? Understood? Now I want you to see the structure of this because it just makes it plain how this is going to work or not work depending upon our obedience. The subject of the sentence is the whole body. You see that little phrase there in the beginning of verse 16? The verb or the action is at the end, where it says, makes the body grow. Do you see that? Now, do you want to see the connective tissue between the two of those things? If we're going to see the whole body making the body grow, here's what he says, when each part is working properly. So let's paraphrase this whole thought, okay? The whole body, everybody, causes the growth of the whole body, everyone, When we're busy doing what God has designed all of us to do. So has God provided for our growth and our our maturity? Yes or no? Yes. And has he not also designed how that should happen? And it's called the body. The family. Amen? It's us together. So if we're going to be healthy and if we're going to be whole, if we're going to be the picture of what Christ Uh, painted for us, then it's dependent, absolutely dependent on each one doing our work, each one using our gift. You you can't be the exception to the rule because God has provided for us. We're a church of 27 to 3,000. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people to care for. Everyone, everyone needs to give of themselves. Those gifts be a part of the family and we will grow up into Christ. Amen. Amen. So Redemption is a big place. Redemption, Gilbert specifically, is a big place. And if I'm making an an assessment, I'm pretty happy what I see. I'm excited about today. I'm sitting in the back. There's a TV screen in the back, and so I get to watch the worship leaders, and I get to hear you guys sing, and, and I thought to myself, man, that's pretty doggone good. What they're doing right there is pretty good. And I went outside, and there was men out here setting up grills for you and flags and tables and food, and I thought, that's pretty good. That brochure the guy's designed, is pretty good. We've got programs everywhere. Student ministry, I'd say it's probably the best in the state. I really believe that. I think there's things going on that we could look at and go, don't change anything because it's awesome. It's just really good. And, and maybe we could make the mistake of thinking the programs we put on or the things in which we, we express ourselves are, are the way to give ourselves. That if we just continue doing those things, thousands and more people will just keep showing up and that's good enough. And And I would tell you there's a possibility that thousands of people could call Redemption Gilbert their home, and we could still be a very sick place because there's a deficiency. And the deficiency is that we, the people of God, are not living in the context of community, sharing our gifts with one another as a family. Amen? Family is for our joy and for our health, and that's true. So can I I leave you with a couple things to consider? Um... Briefly, Matthew 28. Most people would look at it and say, "Well, that's the missions passage," and, and it is. I get it. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and che- teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. But but I'm going to lean more into the discipleship model. Discipleship is an ongoing thing that happens all the time with all believers. So you need to have an answer to this question if you're going to obey that text. Who are you following? Who is following you? Who, who is pouring into your life as a discipler and who are you pouring into as a disciple? Are you get that point? This is an ongoing thing. You never arrive in the Christian life. You never get to the point where I've got enough. I need no help. We are always in the context of one another. So simply ask yourself that question today. When you leave, am I engaged with someone else? Are they engaged with me? Here's the second thing I want you to keep uh, in mind. That you can't obey the Bible and neglect the majority of what the Bible says, some 50 passages on the one another's. If you choose to say, I'm not going to do those, church is going to be a destination and it's going to be an hour and 15 once in a while, then I'm going to suggest to you that these imperatives, these commands that Paul and the other apostles gave the church, the one another's are praying for one another, encourage one another, meet each other's needs, you can't obey it. Like you're willfully choosing not to obey the text. And then let me finish with this. Um, I want you to take a step. Some of you are just amen in this whole thing because you're already connected at, at the body-life level and you go, I could can, I can tell the illustrations of its advantages. And some of you aren't, and I'm, I understand that. And I also want you to know that there's many, many ways in which to do this. Like I come here uh, early many mornings and I walk into the commons and there's a group of men. I don't know how they found each other. I don't know why. But they're sitting around tables with books open and they're talking about Jesus and how this Jesus thing affects their life. And I go, that's it. Whatever it is, that's it. You know, Wednesday morning there's a commons full of women who are sharing life and, and the gospel with each other. And I go, well, that's it. So it can happen anywhere all the time. But most people aren't necessarily that organized to make it happen anywhere all the time. Nor are they that um, aggressive in taking initiative. So therefore, we put on, as a church, we put on ways for you to connect called Redemption Communities, small groups. And, and you might be new to, to Redemption, and so you don't understand what it is, but it's really a way in which we can put you in the context of people to watch that over time happen in your life. And so I know some of you would be encouraged to be a part of that. I know Brian and Jeremy, our Redemption Community pastors, are going to be at the info desk as we dismiss. And as you're going out to the picnic, if you'd stop there, if if God is moving your heart and you go, I want to belong, I want to connect, I need the help, and you're convicted that the Scriptures provide how that happens, then come and join us. There's room for everybody. We have have, um, Launch Point, which is a way in which to kind of get connected in groups really well and we have Starting Point, which is a way to get to introduced to our church. Both of those would be great things to be involved with. I'm excited that you're here. I love you people. There, are, there is, by the way, mm, 13 to 1,400 people currently in small groups, 280 leaders and um, 107, 110 small groups in our church from junior high all the way. to Del- That's pretty good. It's pretty good. So if there's only one of you out there, who's been managing your spiritual life all alone, come on in. Be a part of the family. Amen? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for this simple but profound truth that you have created us and recreated us in Christ to belong to you and each other. God, help us obey this passage. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.